as leaders, it's incumbent on us to break down the bigger picture into smaller pictures where people can attach to those and then begin their career, their attach, their impact, but not at the same exact level as an old guy that's maybe been doing it for 25 years. And so that's a hope I offer to some senior leaders out there that it's really challenge, but an opportunity to break down some of our com most complex problems into to smaller pieces. Welcome back to Chat with Leaders, where we amplify the voices of leaders who use business and influence as a force for good. We believe that it's their example that will have a tremendous impact on our next generation of servant leaders who will carry us forward into our bright, sustainable future. I'm your host, Jeff Bond, and today I am thrilled to share a chat I had with one of my favorite technology and business leaders, Scott McMichael. Scott is the managing director for the South Region of Improving, a leading software development company that offers advanced technology consulting and training across their 14 locations in North America. Scott is the epitome of a conscious business leader who centers his heart on how to positively impact every stakeholder connected to their business, whether that be employees, customers, suppliers, investors, funders, or their community and beyond. You'll hear the story of how he built his leadership values through experience, why stakeholder capitalism became so clearly the best way to approach business leadership, and the impact that it's been having on the amazing success being experienced at Improving. So let's jump right into this conversation with Scott McMichael. So Scott, what do you wish everyone understood about your profession and the overarching purpose that drives your why? Jeff, that's a great question, and it hits right at the heart of conscious capitalism, doesn't it? I mean, let's start with stakeholder involvement. The first group that needs to be on board with that are the, the employees, in my case, the consultants, the software engineers that we employ. They have to understand that their value to their customers, their teams, their projects is more than just sort of slinging lines of code or uh, turning their PowerPoint in on time in an assessment or design deliverable that they may have. They have to believe that there is purpose and value in everything that they're doing. The ultimate purpose at improving is to change the perception of the IT professional. Well, I can't change that perception if I'm only going to my clients. The first stakeholders are those within. And so how are we giving ourselves a chance at convincing, at relaying to our extended stakeholder model what it is we intend to do. We want to go after trusted advisorship. Most businesses are technology-enabled today, and certainly 100% of the ones that I work with are technology-enabled. So then how do I make sure that as part of our purpose that we're on the solution train and not just on the activity completion train? If I can first tap into those consultants, teach them, educate them, maybe even convince them, then, then our receiving stakeholders can understand that we're not just about being expensive, uh, smart engineers, but are about being technology-enabling, solutions-finding engineers. That gives us purpose. That gives us more destiny in the work that we're doing that is not just, as I said before, slinging code or slinging a recommendation. It's a beautiful picture you paint. I've worked with a lot of software engineers in my technology consulting days, and 
they're high paid individuals. They have a great skill set and a great capacity to innovate and effectuate change through solutions. But sometimes connecting to that higher purpose is hard when you're just picking down tasks from a JIRA board and you're executing a project based on a sprint cycle and you have these deliverables that you need to get out within two weeks. And so I think it's a beautiful picture that you paint about really trying to change the perception of IT professionals and using your leadership in that way. That's an incredibly conscious decision to do that because it's very much needed because I feel like if you can impact that community particularly, which we all know engineering, IT, coders are really valuable in this world and are high paid individuals, there is so much good that can come out of that with empowering them to build great technology that's purpose-driven, that's solutions-oriented. And it really hit me. You've talked about that several times before, but that really hit me as, uh, as really critical to the work you're doing as a leader today. Jeff, let's think about efficiency over effectiveness. And we understand that in working and getting work done, whatever our profession, there has to be some efficiencies. There's some processes, there's some repeatability, maybe in software, we talk about an agile methodology. Those are necessary, but that won't build the best product if we also don't have some effectiveness built in. What is the destination of this problem that we're trying to solve? What is this product going to do that actually enhances this business in a way that matters? That is when we have achieved stakeholder involvement, stakeholder engagement in a way that you can literally see the lights come on in both the engineering and business professionals worlds when we can do both of those things. So it's worth achieving. It's something that's worthwhile balancing effectiveness with efficiency. 100%. Yeah. Projects rise and fall on how well a team can work together. But if you can agree on a, on a common good and, and a why and a driving purpose behind the solution that you're building and come together on that, it makes for a much more fun venture of, of building those products. And, and uh, why not have fun? We spend a lot of time doing this thing we call work. Yes, bleary-eyed and coding and just heads down, as they say, right? So I want to talk to you about your past, though, and just step back for a moment. Let's look back on uh, you growing up, Scott. So who and or what has served as your greatest sources of encouragement as you've grown up and ultimately empowered you to want to become this people-first, conscious leader in the field of technology? Well, that's a question I've been reflecting on a lot lately. Maybe that's just because I'm, I'm getting older and, and trying to get wiser uh, in that process. But I think, Jeff, it, it'll, it does go back uh, to those formidable years as, as a young person watching his grandfathers professionally and within the family, socially, as well as through church and other civic organizations they were involved in. I had the good fortune of knowing both of my grandfathers, even though they were elderly grandfathers when I came along as the youngest grandchild, but see them operate in a style that was charismatic, but loving in a way that was directed, but sort of heart driven. And so some people will draw from those wise words around passionate performance, seeing how both of those things might be true. Now, keep in mind, one of those grandfathers is a farmer the other of those is a supervisor in a factory. So when we talk about work 
and we talk about hands getting active in work, motivating, encouraging, loving on, as we sometimes say, I was able to witness uh, early on in life and have had a series of events since then, those that have encouraged me. Sometimes bosses teach us exactly what we don't want to be, exactly what we don't think works as well. And I think that we can learn from both of those encouraging, great examples, as well as from those maybe less encouraging examples that teach us exactly what didn't motivate us to be our absolute best. And so just a long series, leaders both in my family, but also in the commercial workspace that I'm very grateful for. And it is interesting how those things sew together when you start to put your life story against those things. Yeah. And that's a great observation to weigh both ends of the spectrum of the people that do inspire you and the people that maybe show you not how to do it. But it was a very human centric comment that you made there of thinking about both. I mean, people are imperfect. Humans are imperfect. Leadership is a lifelong journey of development. And, you know, just because you've been given the task of being a leader of a team, a project, an organization, or a community does not mean you're fully arrived and that you've kind of taking the badge of what a servant leader being the least of all really means. And so recognizing that generationally and then owning that responsibility to our next generation, it's a big reason why we do this is to really highlight great leaders like you, Scott, who have been journeying through life, recognizing these things and sharing these stories uh, so that we can empower the next generation to start now, to start early. And we'll get to some actionable advice here at the end that maybe we would uh, impart upon them. But when were you first introduced to the idea? You talk a lot about stakeholder-oriented capitalism and stakeholder involvement, and you really wear that responsibility proudly. And this higher purpose that's part of a tenet of conscious capitalism, where all people and communities that touch your business are uh, are thought of and taken into consideration with your decisions. When, when were you first introduced to this idea? And how has that kind of changed the game in your leadership? I believe that in the profession that I have always served, software technology team had already begun being very organized, understanding the craftsmanship and creativity. And so I believe I saw the value in team early, but didn't always see the, the efficiency in those teams. I remember in college, Dr. Susan Morrow saw me walking through the breezeway one day and said, oh, I, Scott, I'm surprised you're still here. The guys like you, they don't become electrical engineers. And I said, well, why do you say that, Dr. Morrow? Because I don't know, you're communicators. I'm like, well, don't we need communicators and team leads or these sort of liaisons and translators from the, the technical knowledge to the business solution? And so can I play in that role? And she said, yes, but not as an electrical engineer. <laughs> so she and I actually went on a series of those conversations that caused me to change my major in college, actually, but not my philosophy, not the philosophy that uh, in teams of people where there are specialties, and I mean through technical skills, but also in teams where there are individual personality types. I believe that's how we're made. I've always been taught that, right? And so whether it's Myers-Briggs or the DISC model, whatever you might subscribe to, these 100-year-old studies of human nature 
are not brand new by any means. And so we have to be able to bring all of those components together to build the best, most creative thing. And in my world, that's typically software products, but in someone else's world, that might be the most creative theatrical production. Understanding the sort of how we're made and then where our interests and how we're skilled are come together, I think was something that I noticed early in my career. When conscious capitalism came along for me in the last three to four years, that stakeholder orientation is what I was looking for exactly. That you meet people where they are, you understand their goals and aspirations, and that really we're doing it wrong if I try to make my goals your goals. It's just not how we're wired. I love that. Yeah. And and something that I had the pleasure of, of being a part of recently was your stakeholder night, which was at the Braves game where you rented out a the big Hank Aaron suite. And when you had all stakeholders there, you literally had all stakeholders there. I mean, I was sitting next to one of the vendors that works with your business and with his family, his kids, his wife, and our wives were talking and he was just tickled to be there, right? I mean, he was just thrilled that he would be included on what would normally be considered maybe just like a team night where you you bring out only your employees to kind of come together and build culture. But you even invited uh, the Conscious Capitalism leadership team and board, which you serve on, which was so generous. I brought my wife. I could have brought my kids. It was a little late in the evening. So I decided to have a date night with my wife. But I mean, just such a generous act of bringing people together around a common good of, of really seeing how we all impact together and through your business too. And I know that it's shines a great spotlight on improving and the work that you're doing as a leader in this community. And, uh, and that intentionality, I think, is the, is the key word here, uh, I think really makes a, a big fundamental difference. Have you seen that kind of what has been the business payoff, I would say, for you in terms of these relationships that you're forging, again, with all stakeholders in your community? Well, let me start back at sort of the beginning of that uh, story. What you probably heard me say that night over and over again is, and it was an amazing event, and it was great to be back in that mode of all the stakeholders and to be able to say those words for weeks to our team leading up to that where they knew they could bring their household, but also really were encouraged to think about how someone in their network, whether it be a client or a prospective employee or prospective customer, that everybody could be involved in that process. And what you probably heard me say is, we must do this. This is anyone can, with the right number of resources, buy a bunch of tickets to the Braves game. But how do you intentionally have a stakeholder event and taking the time to have that sort of intentionality is not something that takes a little effort. It does take a lot of effort. I don't think that it's uh, maybe conscious culture and conscious leadership are things that are more naturally woven into the business, but to truly get after a stakeholder involvement, you said it, it is an intentionality. It will not accidentally occur. Now, what's the business payoff? First of all, I'm in a highly competitive business where I needed to be able to differentiate myself. And so when we tap into not the employee who may have experienced some generosity or some unique culture, but now into their 
special someone or parent or brother or cousin in that same environment. And those messages get reinforced uh, on the drive home where they go, tell me more about this stakeholder thing that Scott was yakking about. Something's different going on in this business. And I hope you see it and you're more committed to it than ever. So that's just the tip of the iceberg on where we believe a sincerity and intentionality in that stakeholder involvement can then pay dividends, if you will, on attracting great employees, retaining amazing clients. When you just truly and earnestly give, there is, I'm sure there were some stakeholders that thought there was still going to be a speech and a flyer and a commitment that needed to be made while we were there. But no, really, it was just free popcorns, Cokes, and taking over the left field uh, terrace at, at Truist Park. When you see that spirit come back, I think people know they're experiencing something different, a literal differentiator. Well, you know, I talked to hundreds of leaders on this show and everybody is talking about how this next generation that's coming into the workforce, that's making purchasing decisions, it's making decisions on where to work. They want to know that they're aligned with companies that serve a higher purpose. So not only is it the right thing to do and the good thing to do, but if you want to be even relevant or enduring as an organization, you have to consider all stakeholders and maybe it's me and I look around and I see all these people with their families and I look at their kids and I think about the next generation. I think about my kids and I think about generational impact quite a bit through these reflections and the fact that we are mere mortals on this earth, newsflash. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is all about leaving it in the torch. And you talked earlier about your grandfather and the impact that's had on you, whether you realize it at the time or not, you realize it now later on in your leadership. This example that we set for our kids and the next generation, the community at large, about how to do business well and how to use it as a force for good and combine profit with purpose and understand that no profit, no purpose, you have to do both. It really is a way to create sustainable, regenerative impact in our long term. And then you think about inclusive thinking and diversity and and you guys are you talked a lot about like inclusive thinking in terms of thought and different personality types even in engineering and technology. And it's such an important point to think about that so holistically about how conscious leadership has this ripple effect amongst all the stakeholders and, and you are living it out and, and bringing that together quite well, which is really why I wanted to highlight your leadership and, and bring this conversation out to the community. Well, thank you, Jeff. I'm glad you noticed. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and like I said, it, as you get deeper and deeper into understanding the model uh, and really applying it, you do begin to see the fruits of the labor. And they may not come in you know, a direct marketing type of return on investment, right? They come in a grander you. And that's why higher purpose matters here. Did we serve the higher purpose? Because if we went into the Braves game saying that what we want to do is come out with three new leads and one new large project, I don't know that it would have served its higher purpose or its longevity for that matter. 
Well, I'll tell you, I've wrestled with that in my career. Certainly been to past networking events as a career-long sales professional where your intent is, okay, I need to report to my next level manager how many solid leads I got from this event or the way I engaged. But I've always believed that if you can create value for others first, it will come back to serve you. And it's not the intent of why you do these things. And it's not that you're looking for a way to flip everything into a sales conversation but it is going back to the word intentionality of just serving others and bringing people together as a community. And I, I believe the halo effect and, and the social karma, if you will, does kick in at some point. And uh, it's never failed me. And uh, and I see you doing that quite well at, at improving. And your history through the company is a transition, right? As being acquired by improving, you were doing this for a long time. Uh, before uh, you became part before of the improving we knew family, there were, uh, four circles. That's right. <laughs> And, and you were unconsciously conscious, right? That's what we say about conscious <laughs> leaders. So anything if that I may, yeah, if I may go back to something you said earlier about attaching to uh, new generations, uh, whether that be Gen X or Gen Y, and having that purpose centered, let me maybe share a mistake that I made in trying to understand that maybe over the last four or five years. It's, it may be a good parallel to parenting, and, and I don't mean it in, in sort of an, an age uh, or generational way, but when sometimes the, the newer generation is looking to attach to a purpose, I had some overwhelmment, I guess, uh, about that and sort of saying, okay, how is this new college grad and my 25 years of experience going to mesh up and understanding higher purpose? The answer is that maybe that individual wasn't looking for the 33-slide uh, PowerPoint that I had in mind, or not looking to connect at every single financial, every single cultural, every single business decision, but connect to some component. And I think if we can, as leaders, it's incumbent on us actually to break down the bigger picture into smaller pictures where people can attach to those and then begin their career, their attach, their impact, but not at the same exact level as an old guy that's maybe been doing it for 25 years. And so that's a hope, I guess, I offer to some senior leaders out there that it's really a challenge but an opportunity to break down some of our com most complex problems into to smaller pieces that can be bite-sized and can attach some of the newer employees, the newer generations to that overall mission. And then when that seed is planted, now you begin to see the greater, larger purpose come into fruition, really in short order. And I made that mistake that the sort of let me try to give you this force-fed, larger vision all at once. The eyes glaze over. You're not talking my language. That's not the part of the purpose I'm the most interested in. Didn't work as well. And so that has been, I think, a more recent reflection of mine, breaking that, that higher purpose into what matters to this group, this generation, this project team, this client team. That's a really good word. I've I've learned that through making the same mistake in my leadership when I've had a, a team under me where I've tried to 
check all the boxes in terms of our belief system together. But the reality is, and going back to what you said about different personalities, different types, inclusive thinking, everyone kind of filling gaps because we're not exactly alike. We don't think exactly the same. We don't have all the same motivating factors. And so meeting people where they're at, but bringing that to a central kind of foundational higher purpose, I think that's a, a really good word of advice uh, for our next generation. And I also think about capitalism in closing here is kind of having a maligned reputation over time as being greedy, as focusing on shareholder value only, and particularly for larger companies. But there's so many good stories like yours, Scott, and, and improving and the good work that good businesses are doing out there. For a social entrepreneur or an aspiring business leader uh, who's looking at capitalism and, and maybe has looked at it as evil or or not something that's for them necessarily and that they want to think about only purpose maybe even at the expense of driving profit and your capacity to do more good with it how would you encourage them to kind of rethink uh, that and and maybe dispel the myths and get involved with more conscious leadership and conscious capitalism to um, to forge ahead with a little bit more hope around kind of the heroic aspects of what it can actually do to elevate humanity that's a great way to end up this conversation, Jeff. And once again, not an easy conversation to have. In the course of a single conversation with an individual, they can sometimes criticize capitalism and also ask for a 20% raise <laughs> the same, in the same conversation, right? And so how do we as humans, as leaders, as conscious capitalism, uh, conscious capitalists, I'm sorry, tie those two things together. At improving, one of the things we did recently was make sure that our employees understood the six different ways that we provide profit share back into the employee base. So as the year end tallies up and we're funding back into programs that help our employees who then can help their own set of stakeholders, were we making sure that that message was clear? And were we able to celebrate some of those successes and wins that really the capitalism side had generated for us? We want to make, make sure also that our stakeholders who are clients understand that we're not after a price gouge or some set of metrics that aren't fair or are not aligned to market. I understand where, where capitalism uh, has earned its bad favor, and it continues to do so. Uh, I always say every weekend in the news, when I get caught up on the, on the news shows, there are those stories around the rich get richer, or the top 1%, or the, and I think in some cases, those stories are completely accurate. In some cases, those stories do have another side with the amazing uh, employment opportunities or growth opportunities or innovation opportunities, literally world-changing opportunities that some of those big bad capitalists are also generating. So I would first encourage us to try to find both sides of that story and not just head down one path. Second, I would encourage us to understand the riches that we that we have as individuals on whatever level, as the principles teach us in our faith sometimes, whether it's the $10 that you can barely afford or the $10,000 uh, 
uh, that, that you stretch to, whatever is your point of the giving. Before we sort of belabor uh, the, the corporate giant or the capitalistic giant, let's look in ourselves and see where our generosity, where our own modeling can take effect in our local community. If we do that and we think more in terms of what we can do and what we can control, then I believe the conscientiousness of capitalism will rise. And I believe that if we do that collectively, then we'll have a better witness of that, a better model of that for other companies to follow who maybe are wayward right now. I couldn't have said it any better than that, Scott. And, and anytime I go to one of our conscious capitalism events or a B Corp event here in Georgia or go beyond profit, you come together with a community of like-minded people that are exemplifying these good stories in the world and good intentions. And it doesn't mean you're not going to be exposed to the other flip side of the coin. And it's important to reflect on both sides so that you can really know where you stand and make a choice. And, and the choice to me is clear to want to leave a lasting legacy and create generational impact because it's going to be in the hands of our children or nieces and nephews or whether you're a parent or not. You got to think about the way the world's going to look beyond us that's sustainable and enduring. So really grateful for leaders like you who model that, who use their influence as a force for good. It's such a gift to know you. If people wanted to follow your leadership, Scott, or get to know more about improving, where would be the best place online? Well, I don't participate in a tremendous amount of social media, Jeff. But I do like my LinkedIn, and I would welcome uh, those that are out there to follow me there. It's Scott McMichael. You'll see me under the improving label there. And I do try to post where forces for good are interacting with this society, where we are moving the needle in a new way, and what we can sort of see as that return on our intentionality. Well, I think you are investing your time wisely versus doom scrolling every day on social media. And we are grateful for the way that you steward your time and pour into others, Scott. So thanks again for being here. An incredible gift to our listeners and to me. Uh, so glad to know you and uh, continue to go forth and be a leader worth following. Jeff, you've been very kind and thanks for getting this message out, sharing as frequently and as often as you do. We appreciate you, my friend. My pleasure. Well, that wraps up another edition of Chat with Leaders. Thank you for investing your time with us today. If you haven't already, we would be grateful if you shared this episode with a friend and rated it on Apple or wherever you get your podcast, so we can pass down the wisdom from our guests to more aspiring leaders. If you're interested in launching a professional podcast to grow your business, we would love to help. Check out chatwithleaders.com for more information and feel free to reach out by emailing team at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again and go be a leader worth following.